Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. What's Wagner's rule of life number four? <laughs> Nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry, I understand I might be like a dog with a bone on this, but this is just fundamentally wrong. It is an insult, but let's tee this up. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. I'm sorry, I think this is absolutely ridiculous. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. A warning, I am in a mood today. Don't know exactly why, but I'm in a mood. Gru, I am glad that my producer, glad you showed up today. Glad you didn't get on one of those buses and go out to Madison to protest driver's licenses for illegal aliens. Big rally going on, thousands of people now. And, of course, I know why you aren't there, because you have a job. And, you know, you you just can't leave your job, unlike the thousands of people that are there. The other question I have, and we're going to talk later on about the substantive issue of should we be giving driver's licenses to illegal aliens. But there's this big rally that's going on, and thousands of people are there, and the reports are there are buses from 17 different cities that across Wisconsin that bust people into the rally. I have a question that I cannot find the answer in any of the stories that I have seen, either in the print media or the electronic media, about this particular rally. And, and I guess it's just a fundamental one, and it's one that if I were one of the reporters, I would be asking this. Or if I were an editor, I would be asking this. And that question is, who is paying for all this? Wouldn't that, I mean, now I understand you got all these people that are showing up for, for rallies and they're being brought in. There is a cost that is associated with this. Are people paying their own money? But I think it would be just an interesting detail to know whether, I mean, is this, it's obviously being staged, but I mean, where, where are the people coming from and who is paying? I mean, these are, are these folks that are being paid to come here? Are, what are they getting to do this? Who is underwriting all these different buses? Now, it doesn't change the fact you got a few thousand people in Madison that are there, but wouldn't it be interesting to know where the money behind this quote unquote rally is coming from? I just ask. All right, let us get started. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. News conference a couple hours ago. The Milwaukee Police Department, in conjunction with a number of other area law enforcement officers, agencies, and the state patrol, announcing a unified plan to crack down on reckless driving in southeastern Wisconsin. So far this year, there have been 16 fatalities as a result of reckless driving. Okay, 16 fatalities, and and this isn't related necessarily to police chases. This is 16 fatalities overall. The police say what we're going to do is we're going to work with other law enforcement groups. We're going to educate people. Don't drive like a maniac. Bad things can happen. I'm all in favor of that. But also, they are talking about increasing the amount of enforcement for reckless driving. Now, let me explain what this is undoubtedly going to mean. This is going to mean more police slash county sheriffs slash state patrol officers aggressively trying to identify people who are driving in reckless fashions and then pulling them over and giving them tickets. I would hope it would also mean a commitment by the courts that when you get people who have gotten these citations, that, you know, they're going to impose fines. And if people don't pay their fines, they're going to do other things to try to get these bad drivers, these reckless drivers, these dangerous drivers off the street. 
if that is what we are trying to accomplish, pulling more people over for, again, speeding, driving recklessly, and committing more resources to identifying those people, I am 110% behind it. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It is the Wild West out there on the streets of southeastern Wisconsin, and I think it's time for this to stop. But again, just pulling people over and giving them a citation isn't going to do anything unless you have, I don't know, whether it's the circuit courts or the municipal courts that are going to say, hey, you just ran three red lights at 80 miles an hour. Boom. You know, we're, we're going to take we're going to find you. We're going to take your driver's license. And if we catch you driving again, well, then there's going to be real consequences. 414-799-1620. Would you support more aggressive traffic enforcement and Couple it with more aggressive judicial enforcement. My answer is not just yes, but hell yes. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Yesterday, I was taking my life in my hands. Anytime you drive on Capitol Drive around here, you are taking your life in your own hands. Now, I have to drive on Capitol Drive to get to work, but I have essentially stopped taking the freeway because the stretch between... Green Bay Road, where you get off the freeway and where our station is, it, it's, it's just, you just never know what kind of foolishness you are going to see. Yesterday, I was running a little bit of late, uh, late, so I, I took the freeway in. True story. I am heading east towards our studio. There, there's always construction, but I mean, I'm in a line of traffic. I'm stopped at a red light. I see this car, and now there's all these other cars, and it's raining. It's just crummy weather. This car has to be moving. Everybody else has stopped. It's got to be moving 40 or 50 miles an hour. I'm watching this coming up, and I'm thinking, this guy's going to smash into somebody. Car goes past, comes up to the stop sign, and there's there's like an empty spot in the lane that's about to end. So there's nobody there because construction's getting rid of this lane. The guy pulls up, beater car, no license plate, (laughs) going at least 30 miles an hour, and blows right through the red light, blows through the red light. All of us, the rest of us stopped. I watched the car swerve over to the left lane of traffic, quickly accelerate. So my guess is now it's going about 50 miles an hour. Get up to the next stoplight. Now all the rest of us are back. Make a hard left turn and go into, there's a chase bank. That's where he turns into. Goes into the chase bank, and I watch the guy pull up, almost park the car on the sidewalk. Guy jumps out of the car, and he's pulling up his pants and stuff. And I'm thinking, you know, where are cops when you want them? 414-799-1620. Dave in Waukesha. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing? Real well, thank you. You're in, for, in support of pulling stuff over, people over more aggressively? Oh, yeah, absolutely. But the thing is, is, is kind of like what you said, stated, is... There has to be follow-through on, on all elements, in other words, i.e., you know, judges and, and blah, blah, blah. And just giving somebody a ticket right. really doesn't mean spit. Right. Well, well right. It, I, take their car. Just, well, you know what? It's gone. See, I, I agree with you completely, Dave. And, and here's, here is the problem. And, I, I, I look, I appreciate what the police chief is doing. I appreciate a crackdown on reckless driving. But if if this becomes, as so many things do around here, one of these tests of political correctness, well, you were pulling more people over, yeah, uh, you know, well, well, right, yeah, exactly. You know, oh, look, look at this. We've cracked down on this and X percentage of the people pulled over are of, you know, of a certain color or whatever. This means it has to be discriminatory. So we want you to stop. Well, no, I want the streets to be safe. I don't care if it's white or black or brown or green or blue or whatever. If you're driving 80 miles an hour and you run a red light, I want you pulled 
pulled over, and if you keep driving without a license, I want you off the streets. Well, if it happens to be a particular, you know, racial, you know, group or whatever, it's they're not being profiled. They're driving like idiots. And if it just so happens that it's one particular, you know, or a couple segments of the you know, of the population and disproportionately high, well, right. Well, then do something about it. Yeah, I, right. I mean, thanks for calling. I mean, see, I, I'm I'm a hundred percent hundred percent behind that sort of thing. I mean, it's. It was kind of like years and years ago, back in the days when I was a federal prosecutor. All right, crack cocaine was big. It was crack cocaine is just devastating on communities. But there were certain communities where it was exploding, and other communities that didn't have crack cocaine. So you're prosecuting, you know, crack cocaine. You're going after street gangs, and oh heaven forbid! I mean, it's look at this. You you just busted these thirty some members of a of a street gang, and they're all of one particular color. That must mean oh that you're racist. No, it means I'm trying to get drugs off the street and if it's a particular gang that is that is selling them that's what we're going to do 414-799-1620 i am all in favor of being aggressive when it comes to cracking down on reckless driving but just issuing citations and education isn't going to be enough unless the community is behind this completely and doesn't give in when the inevitable oh you're profiling or Oh, you know, yes, they were driving 80 miles an hour with no license plate and no driver's license. But how are you going to take the guy? You're, if you take the guy's car from him, that means he's not going to be able to, I don't know, blow through the red light on his way to the Chase Bank. 414-799-1620. We continue the conversation next. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Here's a text. Jeff. I'm an MPD officer. I deal with drivers all the time who have no license, but our court system is afraid to deal out punishment to people. I would guess 90% of my stops, the driver has no license. I issue a ticket. I have no clue if the person is really even using their real name. I mean, th- see, this, this is the, the problem. And I hate to be the you-know-what in the punch bowl on this because Lord knows you, you take your life in your hands many times when you get behind the wheel of a car around here. But And we could we could spend the next three hours taking phone calls from people who've seen, yeah, gee, just what I saw this morning, you know, somebody going through a red light or whatever, driving 90 miles an hour. I am all in favor of efforts to to try to crack down on reckless driving but but unless the court system is on board and unless some of the politicians are on board with this because I will tell you I see what's happening I've seen this before you can start pulling people over and then you can start trying to aggressively take their driver's license or prosecute them for driving without a license and you're going to get one sympathetic piece after another in the local paper and you're going to have politicians who are saying well you know this we're we're disproportionately affecting my community or whatever well no you know, if, if people are going to drive in a reckless fashion, you have to be willing to have penalties that are attached to it. Otherwise, just pulling somebody over and issuing a ticket, if all they're going to do is throw the ticket away, well, you're not going to accomplish anything, which isn't – I'm not saying you shouldn't try. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying that everybody needs to be on board. Dave on the south side. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, Jeff, I was a victim of on Howland Drexel about two weeks ago. I got hit by somebody running a red light and totaled my car. Mm. Were you hurt? And the speed, yeah, yeah. no. Okay. Luckily not, he hit me in the back. I tried to get past the light because I seen him coming at the last minute. Right. At, at 50 miles an hour, Jeff, though, yeah. Right. It's hard, it's hard to get away from people at 50, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> no, sure. No, right when you when you see this this coming up. So did the person did did they stop? Did they drive off? What happened? Oh, oh no, their car was unmovable too. So they stayed, and they, and they do have insurance, Jeff, and everything. So okay, that's, I'm just waiting for a settlement. Yeah, good enough. So. Well, I'm glad you. Uh, thanks. I mean, glad you you weren't hurt. And in this case, you know, you had the insurance. But it is it it's the reckless driving. It's the dangerousness that is out there. And my guess is, in a lot of these incidents, Dave, you're you're lucky because the person. The person, number one, presumably had a driver's license, and number two, even though was driving recklessly, had a degree of insurance. Now, so at least there's somebody to pick up the tab, or there's an insurance company there. The, I would guess that many, 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 many of the collisions that occur around here as a result of reckless driving, it's either people that don't have licenses or don't have insurance. 414-799-1620. Mark in Oconomowoc. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Mark. Um, yeah, I, I wanted to call because part of the problem we have is, you know, I, I was an officer for 34 years, and we would issue somebody three, four, five tickets. Mm-hmm. They go to the district attorney's office, and they get it reduced down to one ticket. Right. And, you know, you know the game. You know, you plead guilty, and we'll, we'll drop it down to one ticket. Or even if you wrote somebody a six-point reckless driving ticket. The bottom line is they don't care if they get suspended or revoked because they're going to drive anyway. Yeah, even even if they lose their even if they lose their license, right? You're exactly right. They're going to continue getting car, get behind the wheel of the car. It's all a big joke. Oh yeah, it it, it used to be in the old old days. Um, you know, operating after suspension was a municipal violation, and operating after revocation um, would be a state violation. And as a state violation, you could arrest them for operating after revocation, right. take them to the county jail, and tow their vehicle. Right. And then they changed the um, state bail bond book to say, oh, no, if they have a picture ID, you can't take them to jail. Mm-hmm. So even though they're breaking the breaking a state law, you still could not take them and, and get them processed. Basically, mm-hmm. they laughed at you when you said, you know, you can't drive your car, and I'm going to be watching you, and... Right. They knew you were going to have to leave, and then they would just drive away. Right. It, it, well, it, exactly. And then, okay, so the license gets suspended. The license gets revoked. They continue to drive. They keep getting pulled over. And then what happens is, what, twice a year we have the – then they don't pay their fines. So twice a year we have this deal where, okay, you can come in, and we're going to give you amnesty. You know, agree to pay a small portion of it. And, and meanwhile, you've got all the bad drivers that are on the road. And, and sooner or later what happens is somebody blows through a red light and they hit and kill somebody. Then they go to prison. But why do we let it go on that long? Well, yeah, that's that's exactly the answer. And, and you know, as an attorney, I'm sure you know that – you know, it, it did used to be where we could confiscate a vehicle, and yep. now it's and now it's like, you know, even with a court order, um, you know, you got to go through the whole, not just the probable cause thing, but now you're taking somebody's property, so right. there, there's a whole other system for it. No, it is. No, th- thanks to the call. And I mean, again, and I and see, and my concern, and I'm I'm not I'm not criticizing these efforts. I support the efforts, like I say, completely and totally. But you need everybody to be on board. You need the court system starting, you know, with the the city attorney's office and the DA's office and the judges, you need them to be committed to doing the the same sort of thing, which is, all right, when we catch people that are driving 90 miles an hour in a 30-mile-an-hour zone and they've just blown through a red light and they don't have a driver's license, yeah, we're going to do something other than wink, wink, nod, nod, get behind the wheel of a car again. Because if you, I mean, you can have the police pull over everybody they want and issue all the tickets they want, but if there's not a commitment 
further down the line. And this also includes the aldermen, and it includes county supervisors and other elected officials who are going to have to, for once in their life, resist the urge to try to, for example, race bait if it turns out that, gee, there's a disproportionate number of this people or this type of person or that type of person being pulled over for driving in this reckless fashion. I mean, it's in the interest of all of us that you get the reckless drivers off the road. 1227, Jeff Wagner. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. If, by the way, you want to see the uh, the gang from the Brewers game last night, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620 There's a picture of my grandson and my nephew. He wears a Milwaukee... Alex wears a Milwaukee Bucks sweatshirt to the Brewers game. I said, "Look, I I understand that you know you're you're a Bucks fan as well, and they're playing, but it, in, we, we, he's got a Brewers hat on, so it's a Brewers hat, and it's a we're, we're covering all of the Wisconsin sport things. But you can uh, see that along with lots of other stuff. Follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. All right. The every time you turn around." You, you see this financial class warfare that's going on that here, you know, we Elizabeth Warren wants to do away with student loans, wants to forgive all the student loans. And it's not really forgive. It's we are going to impose a, a tax on the wealthy and we're going to use all that money and we're going to pay off people's student loans. Doesn't that sound nice here? We're going to have Medicare for all and it's going to cost trillions of dollars, but that's OK. We'll impose a tax on the wealthy and we'll pay it off. Well, at, at some point in time, it just becomes completely and totally unreasonable and unrealistic. There's just not you're not going to be able to raise enough money because I don't know if you impose these really, really high taxes on people who have money, they'll just figure out ways to, all right, have, you know, not earn as much or whatever. That's, that's what you can do. You'll, it'll be a boon for, you know, tax attorneys, but pretty much nobody else. Well, here's the, the latest thing. We have, and there's no question about it, we have crumbling infrastructure across this country, you know, roadways, bridges, things like that. The plan right now is to spend $2 trillion, that is T as in trillion dollars, on trying to improve the roadways and the infrastructure. The problem with this is you got to come up with the money somewhere to do this. And one of the ideas being floated around, because everybody agrees you can't just say, oh, we're, we're going to tax the wealthy and we're going to make them pay for this and that and the other thing, because sooner or later that particular well runs dry. So one of the things that they are considering, and Congress, at least the House of Representatives, the Democrats that control that are on board with increasing the federal gas tax by 15 to 25 cents a gallon. Right now, the federal gas tax is 18.4 cents, and it hasn't been increased for a long time. Let's say the idea, increasing it by a quarter, which would raise the federal gas tax to uh, 43 cents approximately. The state sales tax on gasoline, the state tax right now is 33 cents. So if that was the case, you would you would be paying somewhere in the neighborhood of 75 cents federal and state 
tax per gallon of gasoline with the idea the money was going to be used for infrastructure. And as we all know, Governor Tony Evers wants to increase the state portion of the sales tax by, you know, eight cents, 10 cents, you know, whatever. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think it is quite reasonable to figure out that, you know, in order to improve the roads and in order to, you know, improve the infrastructure, and I'm saying that in quotation marks, I I think you should probably expect in Wisconsin to have the federal gas tax and the state gas, gas tax, which now is about 50 cents a gallon when you put it together. I think you should plan at a minimum to see that increased to about a dollar, essentially doubled. All right, our number is 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Because I think what happens, what you're going to see happen is, you know, the federal gas tax, if it is increased, that's going to move in tandem with an effort to increase the state gas tax. So let's just use my examples. Are you willing to see the tax you pay, federal and state, because, you know, it's all the same, federal and state, would you be willing to pay essentially twice as much to have it go from 50 cents a gallon to a dollar a gallon? Um, do the math that right now, if you put 10 gallons in, it's about it's about five bucks. This would mean every time you fill up, it would be 10 bucks. It would essentially double the tax burden. Are you willing to do that? 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, please hold on. We discuss in just a moment. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. We're back, so very glad to have you with us. Let's start with Mike and Exonia. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Jeff, good afternoon. What do you think? Hey, I think that um, I would rather have the conversation be on cutting back. You know, every time that we want to do a new project, it's always all about how do we raise more revenue. Well, if I want to do more projects at home, I can't tell my bosses that I need a raise every time I come up with a new project. Right. So, you know, I think uh, I'm a little sick of hearing tax increase justifications. Mm-hmm. Or, or maybe it should be, gee, you know, why does stuff cost this much and then it needs to be redone, you know, three or five years later? You're You're saying, like, better budgeting might be able to deal with this before you start talking about a tax increase? Wouldn't you think so? I mean, it's super easy to, to start justifying Social Security um, changes to increase revenue or this to increase revenue. But, man, you know, if, if I want to do a fire pit or something or, or a fireplace or bookshelves, I mean, I just got to cut back and figure out a new way to do it. So, well, I, everybody else? Well, thanks for calling me. I, see, I, I think that's the kind of the starting point in the conversation. And one of the things you got to be careful about because – over the next year and a half, with the presidential election coming up in 2020, it, you're really going to hear the chicken in every pot thing. It's going to be, all right, let's cancel all the student loans. Okay, well, uh, how are you going to pay for that? Well, we're, we're going to tax this group of people. Well, okay, fine. And then what we want to do is we want to have free college for everybody. Well, it's not free. It's got to come from somewhere. Where are you going to pay that? Well, we're going to tax the same group of people that we're taxing to pay off the student loans. And then... We want Medicare for all. Okay, well, that's trillions and trillions of dollars. Even states that have tried it abandoned it because it was so expensive. Well, how are you going to do it? Well, we're going to tax those people that we don't think is paying enough in taxes. Okay, well, all right, at some point in time, like I said earlier, that, that well runs dry. So you, you have to start talking and taxing, you know, everybody. Now, 
gasoline taxes are what they call a regressive tax, meaning they they affect everybody has to pay it regardless of your income level. So, you know, you double the tax on gasoline, you add an extra $5 per tank, not not in anything else, but simply in tax. And, you know, the, the people that are making $300,000, they pay it. The people that are making $25,000, they have to pay it as well. I mean, is this really the best way to go about it? And keep in mind also that gas gasoline prices have been extremely low for you know quite a period of time. Now they're starting to go up again. My personal belief is that's just going to be a temporary sort of thing, but maybe maybe I'm going to be wrong. All right, so let's say they go back up to three fifty or four dollars a gallon. We'll round up. So you got four dollars a gallon for gas, ten gallons in your tank, so forty dollars there. Um, hmm. And then you add the extra tax increase. Really? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Vincent on the northwest side. Hi, Vincent. Uh, good afternoon, Jeff. Exactly. Right now in Wisconsin. Uh uh, gas is teetering almost towards four dollars. Uh, almost, I'm still almost four. Yeah, yeah three, three bucks. Yep, three bucks. And so you add another fifty fifty cents from the state and the fifty cents from the federal. The fact is, we're looking at four dollars a gallon. Yep. And then what about the and so and and then people are going to start getting more fuel efficient cars, which aren't going to be paying for this gas. And then I guarantee you, they'll come back in the future, like they've done in the past. And say we need to raise it some more. Mm-hmm. You know, once you you know, once you let that cat out the bag, no, they need to find a different way to pay for this. And I agree with the first caller. You know, the you know, the, the bloated nature of the, uh, of the federal government, they can find a way to pay for this, this infrastructure. Yeah, so and you so, you kind of believe that there's enough money floating around that you know if you were aggressive about it, you could find it and you could at least that's a start, right? Oh, certainly. Oh, certainly. When you're paying. Uh, Almost uh, two to five hundred dollars for a toilet seat. Yep. The fact is, uh, I'm sure exactly you can find uh, money to pay for the infrastructure in, in America. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. See, that's my point too, Vincent. And we're, we're kind of on the same wavelength. I understand that at some point in time you might need to consider tax increases. I have always believed, though, that that's that is a a last ditch thing, and you do it after you have eliminated waste and fraud and the type of things that you're talking about you know the 500 or 5000 dollar toilets and things like that that 2 trillion dollars is a lot of money and the truth of the matter is you're right at at some point in time that that's a number that only goes up do we have to deal with infrastructure sure we do can you fault past administrations republican and democrat for not being aggressive enough and force fixing the roads um yeah I mean, yeah, I think that that's that's fair, and I also appreciate that the more you delay maintenance, the worse it gets. You've got a hole in the roof of your house, and you just kind of ignore it. Well, it's not going to go away. It's going to get worse, and if you'd fixed the hole when you first noticed it, chances are it'd be cheaper than if you had to replace the entire roof before all the water got in. I, I get all that. I understand it, but I don't think we've had an honest dialogue in this country about, uh, again, how much money is floating around that is being spent unnecessarily? And that's where I think that the conversation has to come from. Matt in Watertown. Matt, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. I think rather than looking at raising gas tax, we need to put in toll roads, and I'll tell you why. I own a small trucking company. We run eight trucks. I run those eight trucks from Wisconsin down to Indiana every single day, and I spend tens of thousands of dollars in Illinois on tolls every year. Mm -hmm. So I am paying for the roads in the state of Wisconsin on my fuel tax, which I also share with 
Illinois under the interstate fuel tax agreement. And all of Illinois' trucks can come up here and run on our roads, and they don't spend a dime to fix the roads up here other than the shared fuel tax. Mm-hmm. Are, I, I just I don't think that's fair. I'm building roads in two states. Yep. Are you um, you're are are you running diesel trucks too? So you're paying more in tax for yeah. the yeah okay because yeah. the, the the tax on diesel is higher than the tax on regular gasoline. But trucks that go interstate like that, we share the gas tax. So at the end of the month, we report what miles we drove in each state. So we pay part of, even though I buy all of my fuel in Wisconsin, part of my fuel tax still goes to the state of Illinois. Right. So they're, so they're getting part of my fuel tax and they're getting all of that toll money to fix their roads. And we don't spend any of that money in the state of Wisconsin. And my guess is the state of Illinois doesn't send you a Christmas card every year, do they? They absolutely do not. <laughs> they, thanks for the call. Look, I mean, here, here's the, the, the point of this. And, and I, I, I'm not this guy that is saying, okay, well, you never raise taxes or anything like that. But I, I see this stuff that's going on now. Oh, the White House and Congress have agreed a $2 trillion infrastructure spending. It, it sounds good. It's got the potential to put people to work. I understand all that. But the devil is always in the details. And the question is, how are we going to, we collectively, if we do something like this, how are you going to pay for it? And how are you going to deal with all the other big needs that we have, like stopping Social Security from going bankrupt? Oh, we're going to increase those taxes. And again, oh, let's get rid of the student loans and let's do this or that or the other thing at some point in time you have to understand that you keep squeezing the turnip and soon there's no more blood to come out of it live from the annex wealth management studios at historic radio city this is the jeff wagner show and now here's wtmj's jeff wagner so very glad to have you with us i understand there's a big rally that's probably just wrapping up in madison today is the day without Latinos and there's buses from 17 states that ship people in to stage this rally at the Capitol. The object of today's rally is to convince the legislature to change the law to allow people who are in the state and in the country illegally to be able to obtain driver's licenses. I'm sorry, I am not on board with this. Now, they estimate, and it's because you're dealing with people who aren't here legally, they estimate that there's somewhere in the neighborhood of 30,000 people who, if we change the law, they are driving right now illegally, but because they're, they're not able to get a driver's license, if you allow people in the country illegally to get driver's licenses, they estimate that maybe somewhere in the neighborhood of 30,000 people would, would do so. That is the, the argument. The argument also is that, well, these folks, they, they, they're going to drive regardless. Doesn't matter whether they have a driver's license or not. They are going to drive. So if they're driving anyways, that means that they don't have insurance. And the argument is that, gee, well, everybody who's driving illegally now, if they have a chance to get a driver's license, they're going to go out and they're going to do it and they're going to pay for the insurance. And so the world is going to be a safer place. Essentially, it's we have 28, 30, 32,000 people who are driving illegally now. They're going to continue to do it. So why don't we just allow them to get licenses? That is the argument that is made. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's kind of like when you have kids and the kids say, well, 
We're going to, all right, if you tell us our curfew is at 10 o'clock, well, we're planning to stay out till midnight anyway, so why don't you just make that curfew midnight because we're not going to pay attention to you anyways. We're here illegally. We're violating the law. We're going to continue violating the law, so why don't you just change the law to accommodate us? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Governor Tony Evers is all on board with this. The Republican legislature, I I don't think is, but this is the big talking point for today. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should we take people who are illegally in this country and illegally in the state and issue them driver's licenses? A relative handful of states do this now. Should we join those? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Gene. Gene in Milwaukee. Good afternoon. Yeah. Hi, Jean. I'm, I'm against the two, but I've got a question. Now we use driver's license for identification when we vote. Yep. How is that going to work when everybody has driver's license and they're a citizen or not? Well, Tony Ever says, don't worry, under his plan, um, the, the driver's license that you would issue to the people who are in this country illegally, they, they wouldn't be eligible to use them to vote. Trust him. You don't have to worry about that, Gene. What do you mean? <laughs> I don't understand that one. I, I, that's the best I can do. <laughs> you know, Tony Eber says, "No, no, no. You're 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 not going. You know, you're not going to do that." Now, we're, you know, we, we'll we'll guarantee that you know these won't be able to be used for voting. Don't don't worry. But if, of course, the problem is these driver's licenses. Once you get them, that that goes a long way towards legitimizing your presence in the country. You know, you use driver's licenses to do all sorts of things, open up bank accounts, all this different type of stuff. I, I agree with you, Gene. I'm kind of skeptical about once you get this driver's license, that allows you to get all sorts of other identification. And even if you can't use the driver's license, you can probably get other stuff which would allow you to vote. Yeah. No. I don't think we should do that. <laughs> um, th- thanks, Nicole. Well, I mean, that's uh, it's 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 just one of these things that that ends up that that's being out there. Oh, by the way, I also presume that see, driver's license information is public. You know, you can you can go and you can find this information. My my guess is, however, that there would have to be an exception for this because I can't imagine that anybody that was showing up at the state capitol or the governor who's pushing this, I can't imagine that they want would want this public information, for example, shared with uh, ICE, for example. Could, could customs, could immigration be able to say, okay, that's fine. You know, we want access to all this information. We want to know where the people that are in the state illegally are, are living, you know, should they be able to do that? I mean, do we have to carve out an exception for, for example, the public records requirements to say, no, we're going to, you know, conceal the identities. We're going to create this kind of like special file so that the people who are in this country illegally, so that federal authorities can't find out about them. I mean, where, where do you draw the line? 414-799-1620. I understand the argument they're doing it anyways, so why don't we legalize it, normalize it, and then you know maybe they'll end up getting in, they'll get insurance or whatever. I mean that's the argument. They're doing it anyways. Is that a persuasive one? We continue the conversation in just a moment. Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. I said at the start of the show too. There's this big rally when you go home. You watch the TV news tonight. You're, you're going to see this. This huge rally, it's the day without Latinos in, in Madison. 
I, again, I would have liked some reporter somewhere to have said all these buses that they use to bring people in from 17 states, from 17 cities, who who underwrote the cost of this? Just just curious as to what's really behind this. But the issue du jour is driver's licenses for people who are in this country illegally. I, I'm sorry. I think it's a bad idea. Marie in New Berlin. Marie, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello, Jeff. I think it's a horrible idea. First of all, they shouldn't be here even. They're breaking the law by being here illegally. Well, that, let me do, I'll let you make your point. But, driver's license? Well, that, that's, I guess that's the, the other thing here. It, it normalizes behavior that is illegal. I mean, it, if you're able to get a driver's license, it gives you even more, and, and then all the things that, all the doors that having a driver's license opens up to you, it, it makes it just easier for you to stay in this country where you're not supposed to be as long as it's illegal uh really and quite honestly and governor evers going to make sure that they can't vote with this driver's license i'm sorry i don't believe that for a second well i i do i mean thanks to call i mean he, he says no you don't have to worry about that that this is going to be this sort of special thing but i mean th- think about this should uh, first of all i am extremely skeptical that people that if the are if the premise is hey you're you're here illegally you're going to get the driver's license that means that you're also then you know going to get insurance and follow all these the rules i color me doubtful not not saying not saying everybody wouldn't do that i i'm just kind of questioning the compliance i i'm also questioning and i know there's a handful of other states that do allow this and some insurance companies do write these policies i'm kind of wondering about that too to be honest with you because if i'm this insurance company and somebody i'm going to be issuing insurance to somebody who doesn't have a legal presence in in this country i i question all that as well i've i've said this before i i think we've got an immigration mess in this country i think we have to figure out a way to deal with this but by by normalizing this behavior, which right now is in violation of the law, all you do is encourage more people to violate the law. And to me, that's not that's not a good thing. If you want to argue that, hey, we've got all these people in Wisconsin that are here illegally, let's figure out how to change the immigration procedures so we can get them all set. Okay, fine. Let's have that discussion. That's for smarter people than me to figure out what the right answer is. But this idea that, okay, let's just normalize this. And then I also go back to the point I made a minute ago. All right, does this mean, does, is this information, I mean, should this be then, for example, should it be shared with, with law enforcement? I mean, are we going to create an exception out there? I mean, if the customs people want to say, okay, fine, you know, we're, we're involved in enforcing the immigration laws. We want to see, we're just going to pull the files. We're going to make our requests. We're going to get our subpoenas and we're going to see everybody that's now in this country illegally, that's now in the state of Wisconsin that has one of these driver's licenses and we're going to start enforcement action. Should you say that, that you can't do that? Alan in Houstisford. Hi, Alan. You're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Uh, I'm a, a retired uh, driver's license examiner, okay. and I'm totally against making this uh, step to legitimize people who are here illegally in the first place. Okay, tell me why. Uh, because it's just another step to uh, say, well, okay, wink, wink, uh, we're going to say this is okay, and there's there's no way to uh, uh, differentiate between what the people who are here illegally are going to have to show for proof of identification as opposed to those who are here illegally, what they're going to have to show. 
Uh, I think it's it's unfair to those that belong to be here illegally, and I think it uh, puts everybody else uh, at a at a disadvantage. Okay. Well, the the argument is, Alan, that if you if you would allow people, the, the argument is, people are here illegally. They're here illegally. They're driving without licenses now anyway, so they're doing it. Why don't we normalize it? Why don't we legitimize it? Because at least some of them might come in and get road tests or things like that, so maybe it'll make the roads safer. I mean, that's the argument. Well, that's like saying that some people who smoke tobacco aren't going to have lung problems. Okay. I mean, it's it's just... Right. Another step in in legitimizing people who don't belong here in the first place. Yeah, I, I mean, th- thanks for calling. I, I agree, and I, I guess I am not sympathetic to this argument that, well, people are doing it anyway. So why don't we just pretend that that everything is okay? All right, it, it's you know you're here in this country illegally, okay, but you're here regardless, and you know we're trying to figure out ways to get you to stay. So here, let's just make it easier for you to stay. Or let's make it more attractive for you to come out. And I guess I just think as a matter of public policy, that's bad. Work out the immigration thing. If you want to figure out, okay, we've got tens of thousands of people that are in this state illegally. You want to change it so their immigration status changes? Oh, okay, fine. Then you make arrangements that they can you know, get access to driver's licenses, like people with green cards or whatever. But that's not where we are right now. And I guess... This idea to try to pretend that it is something other than that, I, I think, is fundamentally flawed on many levels. And if a part of whatever deal that Tony Evers is talking about would include making this information off limits to federal authorities, well, that makes it to me a complete and total non-starter. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. 44 degrees outside. I don't know, it's supposed to be warmer on the weekend, hopefully just a little bit drier. This has just been just a miserable winter and doesn't seem to want to let go its grip and not much of a spring. But hopefully we will be rewarded somewhere down the line. At least I'm hoping. Okay, the the president has decided to take... Uh, What's going on now is is now that you have the Democrats that control the House of Representatives, you have all these different congressional investigations that are going on. I believe the vast majority of them are politically motivated. People are looking for, you know, let's try to find something and we can use that as a headline that will then pass on to the Washington Post or the New York Times and we'll use this as a political weapon against President Trump. So you have Congress that wants to, that, as a matter of fact, forget wants to, Congress, controlled by the Democrats, the House of Representatives, they're sending out all these different subpoenas to all these different, you know, all these different financial institutions, businesses, etc., that have done business over the years with President Trump and with the Trump Organization, etc. They're sending out these subpoenas asking for all sorts of financial records. President Trump has decided he's going to, just like he is with the tax returns, he's going to take a hard line, and they are going to fight all these subpoenas that that are being issued. Now, I will, you know, I'll give you my opinion from a recovering lawyer here. I think at the end of the day, the the efforts to fight these congressional subpoenas isn't going to work because Congress has, 
Congress can abuse its power, but Congress has broad power to investigate financial dealings and issue subpoenas and things like that. At the end of the day, I think that Congress is probably going to win when it tries to subpoena a lot of this information and a lot of these records from Deutsche Bank or or whatever, all these different Trump Trump, uh, controlled entities. Having said that, I don't think it's going to be something that's going to be decided anytime soon. My guess is that the president, if he decides that he's going to fight this, and if the Trump organization decides they're going to fight these things, which they are, my guess is they can drag this out for a year, two years. So, I mean, this... The information, I mean, you're going to have these cases that go through the local, that go through, again, the circuit courts and go up to the appellate courts and maybe end up in the Supreme Court. This is not something that is going to be decided anytime soon. But President Trump has made the decision that he's going to stonewall this type of information. Well, I'm looking at stories today in the New York Times and the Washington Post and um, the decision to to stonewall this this, inf- this these subpoenas to fight this stuff to not just simply willingly turn over all this financial information to to Congress has House Democrats saying okay maybe this is the basis for impeachment the the president we we understand that there's no collusion with the Russians that's been established no conspiracy but you know we've got this obstruction of justice stuff that's hanging out there but now you have this president who's not giving us these records that we want for legitimate or illegitimate or whatever for whatever purposes he's he's stonewalling us he's refusing this is nixon he's refusing us to give us the white house tapes and the argument is that this in and of itself is a basis for impeachment now i live in the real world so here's the deal to impeach a president and this impeachment starts in the house of representatives to impeach a president you only need a majority vote. So you need half plus one. The Democrats have more than half plus one in um, the House of Representatives. To convict and toss a president out of office, it's the Senate that does that. And you need 67 votes. So right now there are 53 Republican senators, which means... There's 47 either Democrats or Bernie Sanders, who's, you know, the socialist who you know, votes with the Democrats. So you would need, okay, 47. You would need 20 Republicans out of the 53 to decide that they're going to vote with the Democrats to convict the president and toss him out of office. In other words, in the real world, this isn't going to happen. I mean, so it, it's President Trump based on what is out there now, is not going to be tossed out of office. We're also sitting here, it is, today is May Day, May 1st of 2019. The election is early November of 2020. So, you know, what are you looking at? The election is coming up in 18 months. The question Democrats now face is, all right, Trump has taken a hard line on these subpoenas. He's decided he's not going to give them to them. A number of the Democrats are extremely upset, even though the president is not going to be tossed out of office. He's not going to be convicted in a trial in the Senate. At least that's my political calculation. And I don't think there's anybody that really argues with that. There's still a huge push among some parts of the Democrats in Congress to go ahead and begin impeachment proceedings. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 
I think this would be an extreme waste of time and of resources. I also think it has the potential to backfire on Democrats, just like when Republicans went after Bill Clinton, knowing the same thing. The math was not going to allow them to to toss him out of office, just like I think Republicans made a mistake when they did it during Clinton's second term. I think this would be a huge mistake. But more importantly, I think it would just be a huge waste of time and a distraction for Congress to spend the next 18 months when you've got an election in November of 2020. 414-799-1620. Would you like to see impeachment proceedings started? And the president's kind of thrown down the gauntlet because he's not going to cooperate at all with Congress. He's daring them to try to impeach him. Should they should they take the bait? 414-799-1620. My answer is no. I just don't think it would be good for the country. And at the end of the day, it's not going to go anywhere anyhow. But what do you think? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. 414-799-1620. Jeff, I think it would be a huge waste of money and time to try to impeach the president. I don't like him. I didn't vote for him. But it's time to move on and focus on the next election. I agree completely. Another text from Kevin. Impeachment will only shore up support for Trump among Republicans. Ask Wisconsin Democrats if they have gone through the Walker recall. Um, Kevin that is an absolutely outstanding point. If you might be new to the state, you remember Scott Walker gets elected in the 2010 election. He takes over in 2011. They roll out Act 10. You have all this angst. Oh, this is terrible. It's going to destroy the state. No, it, it wasn't. But you have all these outside groups, particularly a lot, a lot, a lot of the labor unions and things like that, that have been funding the, the left in Wisconsin for years. They decide, okay, we're going to make this a stand, and, and we're going to go ahead, and we're going to try to have the recall of Scott Walker. Now, it was something that a lot of people counseled against because they said, look, the it's one thing to disagree with the policy, but it's another thing to try to say we're going to undo the election result. And a matter of fact, there were a lot of Democrats, a lot of smart political people in the state who said that this is a bad idea. What it's going to do is just strengthen, you know, Walker's position. But nevertheless, you had kind of the, the, the lunatic fringe and you had the labor groups and stuff. People had a lot of money. They said, no, we're going after him. So they went after him and they, they failed miserably. I think this would be the same sort of situation that's there. Now, the theory that's being floated around is, well, this this goes back to Nixon. The third article of impeachment that the House of Representatives came after Richard Nixon was a, a refusal to acknowledge and respect the oversight authority of Congress. You know, he wasn't turning over the tapes or that type of stuff. He was refusing to do that. That was all well and good. But... At the end of the day, that it was all tied into Watergate and the cover-up and whether there was criminal activity that was committed and things like that. You, you don't have this here. You, you, you don't have it here. And so, yeah, do I think President Trump has decided for whatever reason to just stonewall Congress? Do I think it's a good idea? No, not necessarily. I mean, I think Congress does have 
and I don't care whether it's controlled by the Republicans or controlled by the Democrats, I think Congress has a legitimate oversight factor. And I think it's fair for Congress to issue subpoenas to the executive branch to make sure that everything is on the up and up. Now, in this particular case, I mean, clearly you have politically motivated Democrats that are trying to use at least some of these investigations and some of the subpoena power in an effort to harass and try to um, embarrass the, the president. There, there's no question some of that's going on, but I don't think the president has an authority. I don't think any president has the authority to just unilaterally say, I'm not going to comply with, with subpoenas. All right. But the, the courts will ultimately end up deciding that. All I know is that we're 18 months away from an election. And I would like to see Congress spend the next 18 months trying to figure out, okay, may, can we take another shot at illegal immigration? Can we get anywhere on that? Can we take another shot at trying to figure out how we're going to stop Social Security from going broke in the next, you know, 15 years? Can we take another shot at trying to figure out, do we need to do more with the tax system? I just, do we need to improve the infrastructure and how are we going to pay for it? I'd like to see Congress take shots at that as opposed to going down this impeachment route, especially given the fact that it's going, it's going nowhere. Like I say, you would need, you know, you would need in the neighborhood of, of 20 Republican senators to jump ship and decide that they also want to join with all the Democrats and the Bernie Sanders of the world, and they want to impeach the president. And that's just not going to happen. That's just flat out the reality. The the votes aren't there. So why why are we spending our time and why are we wasting our time doing that? And I think if you would talk to hopefully a lot of the politicians, whether it's Tammy Baldwin or whether it's Ron Johnson, they would tell you that they didn't think that they were or Gwen Moore and Glenn Grothman. They would probably tell you that they didn't really get sent to Congress to the idea that they're going to, again, tilt at this particular windmill. So I, I'm hoping Look, I understand politics isn't beanbag, and I understand it's going to be an ugly next, you know, 18 months. But if we're going to spend it on impeachment and taking away time, to me, that is an absolute waste of time. Again, given the fact that it's not going to happen. That's just the reality. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. All right. So the other day, neighbor calls up. Our neighbor calls up my wife and says, "Can I come over and talk to you? You know, oh, what, what's going on with this? You know." But but actually, it, it was fine because she came over and said, "You know, I was out walking early the other morning in our neighborhood," and she said, "I just thought you guys should know that there was this huge coyote or coyote. I call them coyotes, but you know, people pronounces them differently depending on whether you you know." grew up in communities where they have lots of coyotes or whether your knowledge of coyotes is from the Roadrunner and Wiley Coyote. But, all right, so anyhow, the neighbor says, there was this huge coyote walking down the street, and I thought you guys should know about it because I think people know I've got this little dog, and she's about five and a half pounds, and let me put it like this, she would be, I'm not even sure she would be a snack for a, a big coyote now part of the problem is my little dog doesn't know that she's a little dog so it doesn't matter she she you know barks at all sorts of things but i mean yeah it was kind of this eye-opening thing that all right well we really appreciate this now we don't let her out unattended i mean she's i again she's a small dog i'm afraid that there's you know something might 
fly down and grab her or whatever. So she's always on a leash. And, and either I'm there or my wife is there or somebody else is always with her. She's not unattended. But still, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I can imagine, you know, it's dawn or it's dusk, and I'm out there walking the dog, and all of a sudden you see this coyote that decides, hey, you know, this little dog would make a great snack before breakfast or an appetizer before dinner. And it was a little bit alarming. Now, over the last couple of years, we've talked a lot on this program about how coyotes or coyotes ha- have come into this area. And I-, I guess I continue to be frustrated with the fact that nobody in authority really seems to give a rat's rump about this. You know, we've had stories about people who live on the on the bluffs overlooking Lake Michigan and how these coyotes who are down there, they'll come out and they'll, they'll grab pets. Cats gone, small dogs gone. You know, we've had the stories out of Mequon where women walking their dogs have been attacked. The coyotes come out and they attack the dog and indirectly they attack the human because the human's trying to defend the dog. We've had all these different stories. Um, you had the stories down from, you know, on the south side where you've had, again, th- these these coyote sightings, and, and nobody seems to care. Our number is 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My question to you is, what is it going to take before maybe we realize that we need to start reining these things in? Now, the latest story is... Uh, uh, Channel 12, I'm sorry, Channel 6, Channel 12 had this the, the other night. Apparently the headline that caught my attention is, Coyote Spotted Wandering Near Dog Park. Huh, you think? A Milwaukee man sees a fully grown coyote Tuesday morning lurking near the Bayview Dog Park. Guy's story, he says, all of a sudden he came out of nowhere, like from across the railroad tracks, darn near hit me. It was a full-grown coyote standing across the street. They shoot video of it, said that the coyote was just kind of like scoping out the dog park, undoubtedly trying to figure out where his next meal was going to come from. And we're starting to see these animals all over the area. Campuses at Marquette University, UWM, um, East Side, people reporting seeing these things, you know, in their yards. The Department of Natural Resources, um, which kind of takes a, well, let's a don't ask, don't tell sort of policy on this, says, yeah, Bayview, a lot of these animals in Bayview. And this is a period of time where there's a lot of mating that's going on, so they're, they're more active than ever. Um, they say, well, yeah, coyotes, They've been there for a while. They're comfortable with people. They're comfortable with pets. Milwaukee County wildlife biologist Diane Robinson, I feel bad for her because they trot her out from time to time whenever there's like a dog that's attacked or something. She says if you do see a coyote in the area and you don't want it to be there, let me stop for a minute. If you do see a coyote in the area and you don't want it to be there, okay, I'm, I'm trying to imagine the situation where, oh, there's a coyote in my backyard. Who's going to want it to be there? I, I just throw that out rhetorically. But she says, if you do see a coyote in the area and you don't want it to be there, actively try to scare it away. Yell at it. Throw things at it. Wave your arms. Things like that really to try to convince it to move on. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, okay, you, you're trying to, to scare this off. But the, the other advice that is typically given is, is, by the way, you know, don't allow, especially if you've got small pets, don't allow them out in your backyards, you know, unattended. Don't leave them off the leashes running around, even if the uh, yard is fenced in, because 
They are food to these predators that are out there. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I admit I am particularly, perhaps even more sensitive to this issue than many people might be as as the owner of a small pet. But having said that, I mean, we do not live in rural areas. And this idea that, all right, you you know, you're not going to be able to keep your pet in your yard at what point in time do we say, no, we, we have to kind of retake this? And the fact that I understand coyotes are getting bolder, I understand that there's more of them around, maybe that means we need to do make a more concentrated effort to, I don't know, scare them away from this area or trap them or shoot them or do whatever. Because sooner or later, it, it's not just going to be pets that are attacked. I firmly believe that sooner or later it's going to be some small child unattended or mom's inside the kids in the backyard and the coyote is going to mistake that small child for uh, again the small dog or the cat and i understand there's some people that don't think it's a big deal if the coyotes come into your yard and kill somebody else's pet or kill somebody else's uh, cat or dog or whatever but are we going to wake up if it's something that happens and it turns out to be somebody's child 414-799-1620 that's the accurate mortgage talk and text line is this a concern for you and is it reasonable to expect the authorities to try to do something more given that this is now the new normal, I guess, that you have these animals that are all over our area. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back with your calls in just a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. My favorite part of the Channel 12 story was, well, the, the guy's at a Bayview dog park, and he sees this coyote just kind of, like, looking over there and kind of scoping it out. Well, yeah, I mean, he's figuring, all right, I know where I'm coming back to get breakfast or lunch or dinner. Todd in Mosquito. Todd, you're on WTMJ. Hi, how are you? I am well, thank you. All right, what's the problem? Is this a problem? Uh- to me, no. I don't have a small dog. I don't have any dogs, but I do understand your point with a small dog. Right. I, I live out in a, in a small neighborhood. We have about 15 to 20 homes in our subdivision. We all have acre lots. If we see a coyote, I just shoot it. Um, mm-hmm. It's tough to draw that line between where can you do that in southeastern Wisconsin and where where can you? Or yeah, can like you? Milwaukee County, you can't discharge a firearm. You would be violating the law if you did that. Yeah. Correct. So there's you know, I see it one way, you see it differently. I don't think it's a big deal. I see one, I just pull out my gun and I shoot it and <laughs> tell my neighbors. And, and, and that's the beauty of living out here. But you have to draw the line somewhere. Um, I, I don't know. If you're closer to a city where that's not acceptable, but you do it anyway, you, you might be saving the, the small dog next door and then you're a hero. Tough to say. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, thanks. For, now, obviously, too. I mean, if you're if you're out walking your dog and something attacks you, I mean, you have a right to self defense and things like that. But yeah, it's. Well, I have a text here. It raised an interesting point. Gee, Jeff, are you suggesting that government should reach out and provide some special help to you and your impoverished neighborhood? When and where I grew up, we did not need government assistance to control coyotes. Well, yeah, I I, I do think that there is a certain government responsibility for things. Let's say rats. All right, you've got rats running all over. Where do we have 
have a rat problem. You got a rat problem in West Dallas. Okay, yes, I think the government has a role in trying to control pests. Yes, like rats. Yes, I think the government has a role. I also think the government has a role in trying to control coyotes. Or alternatively, then if you want to turn it over to the, the homeowners, well, then, then, then you turn it over to the homeowners. But no, I, I think there is an overriding role. Yes, I think the DNR has a role to play. I think that, uh, you know, the different wildlife agencies have a role to play and we have to decide, all right, is there something? All right, should we be concerned about coyotes walking down, you know, just boldly, you know, walking down major roads and yeah, and I think the government has a role to play in trapping them. You can come up with a policy as to what you're going to do once you trap them, whether you're going to relocate them or take them out to Lake Michigan. I, I really don't so much care about that, but I am concerned with, and again, it's it's less of a problem for me because my, my dog's not going to be outside. My dog's always going to be on a leash, so that that. If there's a coyote that decides that, you know, wants to attack, they're, they're going to have to go through me. They're going to have to go through my wife, whatever. But but I am concerned about all the people, and I know several of you have had this experience, who have had coyotes that have come into your yards and gone after dogs and gone after cats. And, again, I think that it's going to be sooner or later, but it is inevitable that at some point in time you are going to have a small child that is attacked. And because, the again, the coyote's going to be comfortable around people, and he's going to look at the small child or she's going to look at the small child and say, okay, this is no different than that five-and-a-half-pound Pomeranian, and it's going to be lunch, 414-799-1620. Kevin in Cudahy. Hi, Kevin. You're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I've had probably hundreds of encounters over the years with coyotes. I live in Cudahy, and I walk my dog there along the bluffs in Lake Michigan. In the neighborhoods, I see them. You're not going to get rid of them. People have to use common sense, and they are here to stay. You're not going to get rid of them. You can remove them for now, but they're just going to come back. So, you know, like I can tell people, just use common sense. I've never had one attack me. Or my dog. I've always had my dog on leash. Right. Now, my, my brother-in-law had an 80-pound lab that was off-leash. She went down by their den area, and she got bit up pretty good by three of them. Okay. But you have to use a little bit of common sense. I mean, they are here to stay. What um, about the notion, I mean, does that does that mean, then, that if you live in an area where there's a lot of the coyotes, that means that you you, you just you can't leave your cats out at night. You can't leave your your dogs unattended in the backyard. I mean, is that is that I really the I, answer? I, Jeff, I wouldn't leave them unattended even during the day. <laughs> right. I, I walk at about eleven o'clock every morning and I see him. I so I ran into one yesterday. It was a hundred feet away from me. He just yeah. stopped and looked at me. Yeah. Um, I did have a standoff with one once. I had to bring up a, I pick up a big log and threw it at it to get it out of my area. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, you, you people have to watch. You, you know, I know what you're saying about little children, but you have to use some common sense that they are here. And you have to be watchful. Um, well, no, there's no thanks. No, there's no question about it. And if you're, you're, if you're, no, there's no question. And I, and I look, I, I, I understand that you have to be watchful and I understand that they're here. At the same time, I mean, you can, I, I don't know, we, we could, un, and some communities have done this. They've embarked on aggressive efforts to try to, trap the coyotes and, and and get them out of of the area otherwise you're right i mean we, you do have to be 
than, than aggressive. And maybe that means that if there is a coyote in your area, what that means is you, you can't let your cat out at night. And it means that you can't let your dog out, you know, on that little peg in the backyard and just, you know, let the dog sit out and play if it's a small dog because you're, it's, it's really just going to be coyote chow. If, if that's, you know, where we're at now, well, that, that's where we're at. I guess I'm just not convinced that that's the best way to go. I understand this remains to be a huge problem. Here's a text. Jeff, something needs to be done. I have two King Charles Cavaliers. This is my worst nightmare. Um, well, yeah, I think it's, I think it's, you know, reasonable that, you know, it, it would be the worst nightmare. You know, a number of people are talking about how, yeah, they see these coyotes all around, etc. There's one of my favorite texts. Humans really suck. Is all the land for humans only? Is it okay for us to take over all the land? Well, I'm not saying you have to take over all the land, but, yeah, I, I, I do think that, I don't know, if you leave your little dog outside during the summer in a fenced-in yard, you shouldn't have to be worried that some, I don't know, predator is going to jump in and kill it. I'm, I'm just saying, if that means humans suck, well, okay, I can live with that. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. <laughs> So very glad to have you with us. There's a column in the Chicago Tribune today written by a woman named Heidi Stevens. Caught my attention. And in the essence of the column, she's talking about how it is finally time to get rid of her 2008 Honda CRV. She said she's had it for 10 years. It's got 170,000 miles on it. Cracked taillight. Um, wheel, rusty wheel well held together with automotive tape, dented passenger side door, and she's essentially made the decision that, okay, she's time to move on, gonna trade the car in, collect her $200 and, and move on. But she goes on to talk about how she's grown attached to this car. She says, looking at it, it, it's like it's a time capsule. She says, the car is older than my oldest kid. And I look at this car and I think of all the things that happened. I remember, you know, doing this. I remember doing that. I remember hauling the kids here. I remember this, that, or the other thing. And she's talking about, in essence, in a very creative and clever way, how emotionally attached that she has grown to this particular car. And it's not like it's a $150,000 sports car. We're not talking about a Maserati. We're talking about a 2008 Honda CRV with 170,000 miles, a cracked taillight, and, and uh, again, a rusted wheel well. I got to thinking about it because one of my basic philosophies of life is that you should never love inanimate objects. You shouldn't love things that are incapable of loving you back. A lot of times it, it's, it's an exercise in, in futility. But there is something about the relationship that we have with our automobiles. And I, I was thinking about you know th- this story, and my guess is for, for all of us, there is that car that you've grown emotionally attached to. I thought this was something that a lot of people could probably relate to that, yeah, okay, you know, maybe it wasn't the best looking car, maybe it wasn't the greatest car, maybe it wasn't the most expensive car, but the car was a big part of your life and you really, really, really did end up loving that car. 
Now, similarly, there's similarly there's probably cars that you bought them and you absolutely hated them. You know, this is the thing that used to die on me. You know, three times a week, etc. But I thought it might be fun for a segment on a kind of rainy Wednesday afternoon. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's my question. All right, is there a car that you just absolutely, completely, totally, 100% fell in love with that you miss to this day? 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, back to discuss in just a moment. I know I have one of those cars. 414-799-1620, what was yours? This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. My guess is we all have them. That that car, when you think about it, it just kind of brings a tear to your eye that you don't have it anymore. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Miles and Mosquito. Hi, Miles. Hey, how you doing? Good. I have a 70 Chevelle SS in a big block, and my uh, had it about 26 years, and I still have it, though. But uh, my, wife, my, my wife I have now, she... Uh, I was going to teach her how to do a brake torquer when I first met her, and she made me kind of scared. <laughs> <laughs> she just, you know, punched it and uh, squealed it to a halt, and my wife, Linda, said, my dad had a 442, so I ended up marrying her. Oh, well, that's it. All right, there. So there there you go. And so you still have this car, huh? Yes, I still do. Okay, you're, so you're not taking any offers. You're not going to be selling this one. You're holding on to it, huh? I don't know yet. Well, fair fair enough. I understand that. 414-799-1620. That car that brings just a tear to your eye. And like I say, this piece is, it's it's interesting. The lady says it's a 10-year-old car. It's got 175,000 miles on it. But I look at the car, and it's just got my whole history right there. Teresa in Greenfield. You're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi. What's your vehicle? Well, it's not that I've ever had it, but I wanted like a bucket list car for me, and it would be a vintage Volkswagen. Okay, like one of the bugs, you mean? Something like that? Yep, with a convertible. Okay. All right, so you've wanted that your whole life, huh? Yes. All right, well, keep playing that lottery. Maybe, you know, they, they, they still, they, what, what color would you have? Um, probably blue, and I'd have definitely uh, flowers on it. <laughs> and maybe. Um, a hula dancer on the dashboard. <laughs> Were you a hippie chick back in the day, there, Teresa? Um, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, okay. I don't, I don't want to say my age. Got it. All right, fair enough. No, thank, thanks for the call. That's the bucket list. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. All right, that car that you just hated, hated to let go of. Bob in Greendale. Bob, you're on WTMJ. I don't know what seventy five Camaro. Okay. And I, I, I enjoyed that because I was. Able to pay cash for my purchase of it, and I decked out with a twin CB radio <laughs> antennae, and uh, did a lot of commuting when I was a college student back home and everything. And I uh, had my camera uh, kit in the back for any uh, scoop shots, as I was a photojournalist at that time as well. Oh, cool. Cool. Now, you know, there's a lot of people that are hearing you, and they're saying CB radio. Right? And people are, what, what was the CB radio thing that he thinks about? But there was a point in time where that was the big stuff. That's the way that you communicated when you were out on the highways. Yeah. 
No, it's fine. Now, thanks for the call. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Mary Beth in Grafton. Mary Beth, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. I just want to say that lady needs to fix that car <laughs> and keep it until it's got 300,000 miles on. It's a Honda. <laughs> I bought a Honda Odyssey used uh, a couple of years ago to haul my yard waste to the dump. Okay. Now, the past winter, it became my vehicle to drive. Okay. I bought it with 258,000 miles on it. It now has 287,000 miles on it. I love it. I drive a car until it dies. <laughs> and I also have a 2006 Ford uh, Fusion. Okay. I bought brand new. It's now got 254,000 miles on it. And that I kind of parked for the winter at my sister's house. But, hey. Okay. So. Do, now, now, i got to ask you this, Mary Beth. Is this... Is do you get emotionally attached to the cars, or it's just I don't want to spend the money. I just I'm going to drive something till it just absolutely dies because I don't want to spend the money wanna, on the car. <laughs> I don't want to spend the money. I'm a German. Okay. <laughs> okay. So so you're fr- I was going to say you're cheap. You're frugal is what you're saying. That's what my children would say. They would say no. Better yet, we think mother is really cheap. <laughs> okay. All right, fair, fair, fair enough. Okay, now thanks for the call. Well, I was kind of curious because the, the question is sometimes, I, I get it, sometimes people can't get rid of the cars because even though, again, it's just that it's that emotional attachment, and this is what this woman was talking about, the, the columnist. It was kind of like, I don't think it was that she couldn't afford a different car. It was just that I look at this car and I see 10 years of memories, and I remember this, and I remember raising my children, and I remember this, and I remember that, and I just I just can't let it go which is different than, well, I can still, I don't want to spend the money for a newer car. 414-799-1620, that, that vehicle that you just, you're, you're sorry it went the other way. Let's talk to Judy in Delafield. Hi, Judy, you're on WTMJ. Hi, um, we have a 1956 Chevy. We had a lot of experience. We met, in that, my husband and I met, yeah, I met him with that car. We got married. It was in our wedding. <laughs> we took our son to Back to the Future movie in it when he was only two months old. It was a lot of uh, memorable. And mm-hmm. he was going to sell it once, and he just couldn't do it. <laughs> right. Because you understand, it's like even if you got a good offer, it's just I, I can't. I, I don't need it. I can't. But I can't do it. I can't part with it, huh? Right. Yeah, now, we've had it quite a few years since yeah, since 1968, and we still have it in our are, garage. Okay, are you on board with this? I mean, are you on board with keeping the car? Oh yeah, I love cars myself. We also have a '70 Corvette, and uh, we were don't ride that as much as we'd like to. But okay, is that in the garage too? Yes, it is. <laughs> okay, so then, then my question: the cars you drive, or do they sit outside? Is that what ends up happening? Well, actually, one more can go in the garage. I have okay. an '84. Uh, <laughs> blazer i put in a garage in the winter time we have an oversized garage so, okay so the truck stays out <laughs> got it okay thanks so, i mean i just i just kind of i kind of wonder how that would be okay we've got the we've got the cars that we love they're sitting in the garage and you know we're walking out during the winter time and scraping the ice off the other ones 414-799-1620 let's talk to renata and walk uh, renata and walkasha hello hi okay you're I had a 71 buick skylark okay what color Turquoise blue with a cream-colored top and a cream-colored interior. <laughs> Best car I ever owned. I loved that car. I got it. My parents knew what kind of car I wanted and the color and everything. And I was working at J.C. Penney Outlet, and 
they pulled up and, and I went, oh, my God. I said to my friend, I said, oh, my God, that's the kind of car I want. And my parents <laughs> got out of it. And I said, go get the money out of my account and buy that car. <laughs> uh, there, there you go. No, thanks. I, the, the reason I the, the reason I'm sympathetic to that is that when I was in high school, I dated a woman who was a year older than I was. So I was 15, she was 16, she had wheels, she had a driver's license, and she had a 1971 Buick Skylark. So that's, hers was blue. I remember that. Her, her, hers was blue with, I want to think it was kind of like a white interior, but I mean, that, that's it. I mean, you know, you, you got an older woman there that, that, that's shuttling you around. That was pretty darn good. Um, let's see. Adam says, Jeff, I'm still driving a 1992 GMC Yukon that now has over 650,000 miles why would i get rid of it if it works well that's i'm i'm not encouraging people to to do that i'm just saying that i i think we develop these attachments to cars 414-799-1620 let's talk to norman in fond du lac hi norman hey how you doing real well thank you okay is there a car that just just brings tears tears to your eyes that you you wish you had oh every time uh 1978 triumph spitfire in inca yellow number 94 <laughs> Okay. Now, did you own this vehicle at one point in time? Yes, I owned it. Uh, I, I bought it in the late 70s, and I had it when I was dating uh, a girl who turned out to be my wife. Uh-huh. It was a, a ragtop. It wouldn't go very fast, but it could turn on a dime inside of itself. Okay. <laughs> All right. So when did you get rid of it? Oh, gosh. I got rid of it probably 30, okay. two, three, 33 years ago. Uh, so I can move to Wisconsin from New Mexico. Okay, Use but the money. you miss it miss it to this day, huh? Oh, my wife said, you could get another one someday. That was a lie. <laughs> <laughs> I still have the wife don't have the car. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's, thanks for the call. Well, it's, it's probably okay. I had a, one of my roommates in college had a Triumph, too, and he, he used to just absolutely love it. My other roommate in college had a, had a, had a Pinto, huh? Ford Pinto. I don't think that he'd be calling in saying, gee, I really miss that Pinto. Corey in Milwaukee. Corey, you're on WTMJ. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Yes, uh, yeah, I, uh, I had my dad's 1996, old 98. He died in 2005, and I wanted to keep it because yeah. it had a lot of memories. And um, I used to drive that car in summer and then drive my Toyota 4Runner in winter. And then I'd have to charge the battery for whichever car I wasn't driving. So. Right. I was pushing the Toyota 4Runner out of the garage. My dad's car was parked. I was going to back it in and charge it, charge the battery and the Toyota. And um, I tried to jump in like I had done a million times to set the brake, and I missed, and I came slammed down hard on my foot, and I, all I could see was the tire coming at me. Uh-huh. And darned if, the, darned if the door didn't hit my dad's bumper and stop the car from running me over. That's, you know, so it, it's not only a car with lots of memories, but it's haunted probably, too, huh? <laughs> I, think, I think he was really looking out for me. Do you still have the car? No, I had to sell it because I had medical issues in 2010, and okay. I had to sell it, but I didn't want to. Right, no, it, it, no, it is, it's that, that's the thing, it's, it's cars that have, Cars that have memories. I had a, for, for me, this is kind of silly, but I had a, it was, it was an 86 Honda Prelude, uh, before, maybe 84, maybe 85, in, in that range. It was before Honda changed, they don't make Preludes anymore, and it's before they kind of changed the styling and kind of, I, I think, sort of ruined the car. But back then, it was a fun little car to drive, and it was the car that, you know, I was driving around when I, um, 
you know, first started practicing law and stuff. It just had, it just had all sorts of great memories in it, and I, I hated to get rid of it. Still miss it to this day. Let's talk to Jim in East. I'm sorry, um, Pat in McGuanago. Pat, you're on WTMJ. Now I like old cars that have stories behind them, and I have a buddy that bought a '56 Desoto in California. He drove a '56 Desoto to California, and his buddy had to drive that car home so he could drive the new one home. And <laughs> he pestered uh, him for ten years to sell me the car, and he called me up a couple years back, and he says, "You either want it or you don't." I said, "I'll take it." And he goes, "You didn't even ask me how much." I said, "It doesn't matter. That car will never leave my garage." Okay, and is, do you still have it then? <laughs> Oh yeah, it'll never leave my possession. Okay, it's one of those things that, in, and and if at the right point in time they can figure it out, you'll be buried in it or something like that, huh? Well, it was you know it was one of those things where my buddy that sold it to me is in his mid sixties and you know mm-hmm. I'm twenty years younger than he is, so hopefully I'll be around you know longer <laughs> than he is, and you know right. when he's. When he's no longer available, I'll drive the car knowing it was his car, and he'll be right there with me. Yeah, very cool. Thanks. See, and that's the attachment that we have. It's That's the cool thing about cars. This was a fun segment. I'm sorry. We got jammed phone lines. Couldn't get to everybody. But, but yeah, it is. I understand what this lady's talking about. And it doesn't, it doesn't have to be the sports car. It doesn't have to be the Maserati. All it is is it's like the car that has all these different memories, and you just – Sometimes you just can't bring yourself to get rid of it. Thanks for all the calls. It was a fun conversation. When we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure and Melissa Barkley have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Stick around.